<sighs> I really thought a week ago that it was a great idea for me to be here. About 45 minutes from now, we're going to know whether or not that was true, okay? Because honestly, there's been a couple things that have happened just recently that I kind of went, oh, I'm not quite all back yet, am I? And I, I wouldn't expect to be, but I just have to say, uh, if I collapse and turn into a puddle, then just go have cake and I'll be back later next week. Um, uh, for those who do not know, uh, two weeks ago, Wednesday, uh, my oldest brother, Jim, in a way that was completely unexpected, died. And uh, we think it was maybe a blood clot that, that went into his lungs and stopped his heart from being able to get oxygen, and so he had a heart attack, and that was technically it. But they think that that's what happened, and there was no indication of that whatsoever. And uh, so that was Wednesday night, and on Thursday, we're headed back to my parents who are in their later 80s, and they're having their own issues. And so it was very important that we be back there, and thank you guys for the grace and the understanding and the support of being able to go back and do that. But let me just, so we get back there, and then it was his wishes. Jim never wanted anybody to make a fuss about him, and that was interesting because if Jim walked into a room, you knew somebody had walked into the room. He just had a huge personality, has a huge personality, and he was a huge guy, uh, tall and big and just huge, and huge in every way. And so, anyway, um, and a big loss, right? But, but he wanted to be done quickly, and so we thought we were going to be back last weekend, but we ended up in Florida. So literally had uh, Jan Brunk, uh, one of my sisters-in-laws pack up clothes for us so we had something to wear because we'd packed for Jackson. So anyway, it, the sunset service was amazing. It, God was all over it. It was incredible and thank you God, right? Um, but this comes on the heels of eight months ago, my second oldest brother having passed. So that's a bit... <laughs> You know, uh, two weddings, by the way, stacked in the middle of those just for good measure because we didn't have enough to do. Uh, but, but there's five boys, and we're six years apart. A total of six years. So first of all, you know, give my mom flowers or something, okay? <laughs> but in six years, she had five boys. And we grew up with that kind of closeness. It wasn't like an older brother wasn't, close enough in age to the younger brother or it was kind of, we were very close, literally had phone calls. In fact, the day before he died, we're on our brother phone call and talking to each other about life and what's going on. And, but that was just part of it. I mean, we were very much connected. All of the brothers are very, very much connected. And so it is an incredibly personal and intense loss. And so was Dave. And so all of a sudden we go from five down to three and you can imagine I'm reeling, <laughs> you know, just, I mean, that, and then the weddings, it, somebody said it yesterday, they said, it just wrung out, you know, I feel like that, I feel like a rag, and it's just been wrung, and all the emotions that I have, and I still got, there's a lot still coming up, but boy, they've just been wrung out of me, and, and so here I am, okay? Uh, I do want to say, in the midst of all of that, how unbelievable God is, and I use that word advisedly, because literally, if you'd have told me the things that the Lord could do in the middle of this kind of devastation, I would have known it intellectually, but until you felt it, 
you just can't. You just, the, the depth of the Lord's care for us is so complete, infinite. It, there's just no end of it. And the way that he holds us and the things that he does and everything. And you're going to hear about some of them here in just a couple of minutes. But I just have nothing, nothing but thank yous to the Lord. And you could imagine with a couple of really tough things happening, I could have other emotions. You know, why'd you do that? It's not fair. All kinds of stuff. But instead, I just stand here before you, not as a pastor saying something that's not true. I stand here as a pastor having experienced the grace of God in a phenomenal way and testifying to it. And you'll hear some of that in just a moment, as I say. But I do want to say something else, and that is I have the best family in the world, and by that I don't just mean my natural family. I mean you. I mean, I just am... Uh, Cards, letters, emails, uh, texts, messages, uh, calls. Uh, there's a scripture that talks about being lifted up on wings of eagles. And that's what God does with us. And I feel like you're the eagle. I feel like we're the eagle for each other. We just lift each other up. We just I had a conversation with John and Roger yesterday and where they did something that was incredibly gracious and loving and 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 that's just one of a thousand things that people have done that have been so thoughtful, you know, so them in a personal way that just makes you feel different. <laughs> right? I mean you're crushed and you wanna just dissolve. And somebody comes along and just lovingly lifts your hands. And that's what you guys have done. And in every way, uh, including, by the way, the, the 30 to 40 different people, not just staff, staff very much so, but the 30 to 40 people that have stepped up in extraordinary ways to cover the things that Julie and I do. And, and cover is the wrong word. The better word is do it better, you know? I mean, just stepping up and doing it beautifully, wonderfully, anointedly, perfectly, godly, you know? And it's just such a relief to know that we're just a family and that we fill in for each other. <laughs> we do whatever it takes to make that work. And I just am honored, blessed, and so thankful to God for having built this. So thank you, okay? For everything. Thank you for your love. I'm telling you, it lifts me. I can, it's a palpable feeling. So thank you, all right? There are two thank yous that I need to do that fit into the sermon, uh, and that's the two people that preached for us, and Serenity and Mike. And um, I want you to see something, because like I say, this has to do with the sermon. I want you to to, some of you heard some of this in the introduction, but this is what we're doing in the sermon today, so I want you to see something. A couple of uh, months ago, in the October, November, as is my normal pattern, I started asking the Lord, what are you going to do in the next year so that I can start getting prepared for it, so that I can start doing what it takes to lay a foundation so that we can be doing what he's doing and going along with him. And he started making it clear to me that what this new year was going to be about was simple obedience. You heard me saying that word in November. I started talking about simple obedience. But the Lord said, I really want you to lay a firm foundation on simple obedience in January. And just to, to define it, simple obedience means 
that the why, the circumstances, the potential impact on us, all of that and everything else is simply irrelevant. You do not need to know why God is doing something. You do not need to know that. In fact, if you really know human nature, it's not helpful because we figure out some way to twist that around to make it a little closer to what we actually want. And in so doing, fail to do in the fullness what God is asking us to do. So knowing the why is not only irrelevant, it's almost hazardous. Right? Not always. There's plenty of times that God does tell you the why. But you get my drift. And all of it, you know, the circumstances, the impact on you, what it might mean to you, all of that stuff needs to just completely fade in the light of our love and trust of him so much that all we want to do is anything that he tells us to do, no matter what. That's what I feel like the Lord is going to be doing this year. And I started thinking that back in November, really October it started, and November it got pretty strong. December it was kind of Christmas, but it was still very much there. And now it's January, and on Monday... I'm working on the sermon, having already had some stuff, and I'm literally out praying, knowing that it's about simple obedience, looking at the scripture that we're in, Luke 12, and going, wow, look at this. We haven't been in Luke for a little while, and it's exactly the scripture that has to do with this. You'll see it in a second. Unbelievable. You know, God leading us for real, okay, in ways that are amazing. And the bottom line is, is that he's, he's walking me through this thing, and I'm preparing this sermon, and all of a sudden... Wednesday night, I get this call. Thursday morning, I'm packing, and I'm wondering who should preach. Now, I watch what God did. Because this is one example of many, and it's a perfect example of what simple obedience is. On the first Sunday of the year, we had a word and worship time, which is a prayer and worship time. Because we wanted to start the year right. We wanted to worship the Lord and pray about the year coming up. So we did that. Serenity was in the service, and Serenity loves that kind of stuff, and she was enjoying it and everything else, and she told me later, here's what happened. God pressed on her so much about a sermon that she had to leave the sermon. He told her, if you go home and try and write this down, down later, it'll be too busy and you won't get it. You have to get up from the sermon, walk out the door, you have to write this sermon down, put it in an email, and send it to him. Now, she's sent me ideas for sermons before many times. But this was the entire sermon, start to finish, the whole thing, that she wrote on Sunday, and then she transcribed it, wrote it down on an email, and sent it to me, and in the header, because it was unusual, she said, in the header, she said, I never do this, but I'm telling you, God has told me, I have to send this to you right now. This is on Monday. You already know where I'm going. And then on Wednesday, I hadn't had a chance to read it, it was a long email, and you know, if you send me a long email, I'll get to it as soon as I can. You know, and I hadn't got to it yet. So here I am Wednesday night, and, and guess who one of the first people to call me is when they find out? Forrest and Serenity, in a very loving way. And not even knowing what was in the sermon, not knowing that that's what God was doing, I wasn't thinking about that. They said, look, read the email if you like it, if you think it's God, we're good. That's Thursday, think about it. Who wants to, who wants to be told that you're preaching on Thursday and then preach on Sunday? I don't want that, and I've been doing it for a long time, and I wouldn't want that. I just wouldn't have time, and even though she'd written the sermon, you know what I mean? So anyway, I, I went okay, and so Thursday morning when I finally got a moment, 
I sat down and I read it. And guess what I read? That. That was the message of her sermon. To remind you, and for those of you who are Seahawk fans and did not see it, the rest of you, to those people I would say, there's a thing called a DVR, just in case you didn't know, okay? But, no. But the point is, is that, is that in that sermon, here's what she said. Now watch this, how God did this. What she said was, is when something is going really hard, really bad, one of her children getting diabetes, something that they could die from, you could make a mistake and kill your child. That's what she was saying. How do you love God? <laughs> right? Because you do love God, and you want to love God, but look what's happened. And how do you get to a place of loving God? And here's what her answer was in the sermon that she sent to me. You just obey him. You just obey whatever he's telling you to do. Because he's the only one that can hold you. And when you do that, and you find out that he can be trusted, you love him. And as you love him, you trust him more, so you obey him more. See, it works like a cycle. And that was her sermon. Amazing sermon, by the way. Got lots of feedback. Wow, what a sermon. So, now what? Me, now I find out I'm going to be at a memorial the next week, and I'm going, oh, geez, i got to find somebody now, and it's again late now all of a sudden, because it was, it was decided late. And, and so I prayed, and I said, who should preach? And I had a lot of names come to my mind and everything else, but the more I prayed, the more it became clear to me that it was my catch I was supposed to call. Now, I thought I'd call Mike Hatch, and what would happen, Mike would say, yeah, you know, it's funny you should ask, because I've got this sermon all laid out, and it would be, you know, and everything else. But now watch what God did. I call up Mike, and I say, you know, I, I, you're the one that came to my mind. Do you have something? He said, no. <laughs> I got nothing. And I, I thought, gee, did I get this wrong? I literally started talking to him. I said, did I get this wrong? Am I supposed to ask somebody else? And the Lord said, no. Ask him what he's been thinking about. And he told me what he's been thinking about. And it went, Mike, <laughs> that's the next sermon in the row. Now watch, watch. Here's what, here's what hers was. How do you love God? Vertical. Simple obedience. That's how you manifest it. And that's what re reinforces it. Here's what Mike's sermon was. Love horizontally. Be in community. And really love people. Because when you love people... You know what they need. Why? Even if you don't get it. And you love them so much, you don't care what it means to you. You just do it because they need it and you love them. You see that? So the first one was this way and the second one was this way. Does that sound familiar to you? Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love others. Does that sound familiar? And that's the first thing. I thought of something when Mike, because when, Mike didn't initially have that community part in it. The things he was thinking about were very much in this vein. And I was like, that's going to be a great sermon. But then we did the sermon run through. And when he gave me the sermon run through, he gave me this part about community, which was a new part to it. And I went, oh my gosh. And I thought to myself, right when he told me that, I said to myself, I would have never found that. I would have never found that. I that wouldn't have been preached here. And it needed to be, because it's God, horizontal and vertical, right? So, I don't know, I'm thinking God is in control. And let me just tell you how much control he's in. I'm preaching the sermon that he gave me back in October, November that I was writing in the first week, because this is the third one in a series. 
Because this, is, this one says this. You remember what Mike said at the very beginning of his sermon last week when he said, the human heart is most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Let me paraphrase that. If God tells you the why, we have this tricky way of manipulating it around to sound like God even though it's really us. Do you know that about your heart? I'm sorry, I don't care who you vote for, but when Donald Trump was talking about religion and how he didn't have to repent because he was a pretty good guy, I was going, oh my God, how little do you know God? You know, and he was in front of Liberty trying to tell everybody how much he knew about God. And I was sitting there going, you're talking like a person that just doesn't know God not gotten to your heart. God has not done it. I'm not saying you can't vote for him. I don't give a rip about that. I do give a rip about it, but, but I don't care. This is not a political moment. Do you understand? But the point is, if you really know God, you've learned about your heart. And you've learned that your heart is deceitful in ways that go way beyond your thinking about how deceitful it can actually be. It's just tricky as the devil, advisedly said, right? And so what's the third part? If you're supposed to love God, and the way to do that is just simply obey him, and you'll find out ever more to love him, and you'll ever more want to simply obey him. And if you're supposed to just love other people, and from that you'll learn how much that brings back in a way that you'll love other people even more. If this is the thing that God's got us on, what's the next thing that we have to look at? How do you, well, I want, I want to say it slightly different. What, how do you know it's really God? When, when God tells you to do something hard, because the heart's deceitful, <laughs> right? So how do you know it's God? That was the sermon, and, and now watch this. I want to just show you how deep God's got this. I was really struggling with preaching that sermon on the first week in January because it seemed to me like we needed to do some work first. Actually wrestling with, that's where the scripture was, that's where Luke 12 was, so that's where I was, and that's the part I really wanted to talk about. That's the part I think I can talk about well. And then God brings these other two incredible sermons in place, and then he puts this one here. How can, if you get what I'm saying, thank you, God. <laughs> that you really are working in our lives, that you really are leading us, that you really do have us. So today we're gonna look at this, and this was a long intro, and I had to for various reasons, and I know I get in trouble for that all the time. I'm not telling you it's gonna be a short sermon, but I promise it won't be terribly long. Famous last words, God help me. Okay, but really, I think this is an important sermon, and I think that God's got some things in it. So, Zach Rogers, you to man, uh, you've gone through some tough times, and would you lift up that we get it right? God unified, we step before you and we, uh, we pray for our pastor. We pray for the message he's about to deliver or that he's been delivering. And we, um, we would ask God that uh, your spirit here. Amen. And, uh, when our you know, flesh is, is weak, that our spirit can speak. And, and we ask that uh, you just uh, use our pastor uh, to deliver uh, your, word. your word, your plans, and uh, God, we just, uh, we are grateful. We are a grateful group Amen. Uh, that we have this body. Amen. We want to lift up also another church. We want to lift up uh, Eastside Foursquare. We Amen. just pray for the, uh, the staff there, the, the, the message being delivered there. We ask that your um, spirit be on uh, that message. And the Thank you, Jesus. We pray for all of our brothers and sisters. 
just get this. You know, we get what your spirit's doing um, across the globe and across the world. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Zach. Now, this is the part of the sermon that I'm not looking forward to. Because I've got to tell you a stupid little story, complicated, so I, I, I would like to do it in about two minutes because that's about how much it deserves. It's going to take a little longer than that. And frankly, it's embarrassing to me. And I would rather not stand up here and say an embarrassing story about myself. Imagine that. But when I signed up to be a pastor, one of the things I signed up to be was completely transparent what it is to walk with Christ, the failures and the victories. And so I need to tell you a little story. And this is going to get, I just pray, God, just help me get it simple so that you understand, because it's a little complicated in the details. But the bottom line is, is I talk on the phone constantly. I, I've never had a phone that said more than a half a day for me, no matter what. And that's just because I'm on the phone all the time. And so that I have my hands free and so that I don't have to be holding it up there, I really do think it's not great to hold, your, to hold a phone up to your head all the time. I think the research is in that that's not the best thing in the world to do. So I use Bluetooth headsets, okay? And I go through them. I, if I get six months out of a Bluetooth headset, that's a long time because I wear the batteries out, okay? They just, I just drain them so much and, and they just wear out after a little while. This is kind of a big battery for one. They're usually really tiny. And okay, so everybody know what a Bluetooth headset is because it's important to the story. So I have a phone and I have a Bluetooth headset and everything's working great. And then I don't even have a contract. I don't, I was able to just do whatever I wanted to do with the phones. And, and the Microsoft comes out with a new phone and Windows 10 and it's great for OneDrive. And it really is a great phone. It's got some problems, but it really is a great phone. <laughs> uh, Microsoft people laughed at that one. They're the only ones that own them apparently, but... But I do, and I love mine, and it's got OneDrive on it. It's just some really, really sophisticated things it does that make the phone incredibly useful for a guy like me that's moving so much and that I can get things to get to things quickly and so on. So the point is, is everything's working just great, but I get the new phone and the Bluetooth isn't quite worked out, and so my favorite Bluetooth headset isn't working right. Now, I just burned one out, so I bought one about... I don't know, 30 days or so. I couldn't remember how long it was. But I bought one, and, and it was working great until I got the new phone, and then it wasn't working. And right at the very same time, I had one like this, and the little rubber on it breaks. It just does. It gets loose, and I've broken three or four of them, and, you know, and so it breaks. And so she'd just broken one, and so I said, here, I got one, and I gave it to her. But right before I gave it to her, I noticed that the battery life, even though it was not very old, I couldn't remember how old it was at the time, but I remembered that the battery life was like only about an hour of conversation. And so I thought, well, I can't remember if it's been, I bought it at Best Buy and I always do because they give me 60 days to bring it back, no questions asked, doesn't matter. And so I couldn't, I didn't know if I was in the 60 days or not and I needed to research. I have time to mess with stuff like this. And so I didn't for a couple of weeks and more. It was probably a month, and I, and I you know, so I, I figured I was probably out of the time period and everything else, but finally I just got a moment, and I looked, and I went, oh, it turned out I was, at that moment in time, when I finally found the receipt and figured it out, I was 60 fast when I bought it, and I went, bummer, because if I'd have traded in 15 to 20 days ago, they'd have traded in no problem, but now they, I've, I, I've, you know, sometimes they'll let you, but most of the time they go, gee, we're pretty generous about 60 days, so after 60 days, it's between you and the manufacturer. So I called up the manufacturer. I said, what will you do? And they said, 
Send it to us, and in two to three weeks, you'll get a refurbished one back. And I've not had, I've had some bad experience with refurbished stuff, and so I, I was just kind of like, I don't know what to do, but I don't have time to think this through. I don't have time to deal with it, so I just kind of kept going, right? So my brother dies. I'm on the phone now even more than normal. I know that on the, on the ride, I'm going to be on the phone every single minute of the ride. Because I've got to call people, I've got to work out arrangements, I've got to talk to a bunch of different people. And so right before we left, I just ran into Best Buy. Uh, you know, I had, a, I had a headset that wasn't working, I gave it back to him, I bought that one. And, and I just went and I bought, and I, I thought, well, because I got a problem, I'm going to buy two headsets, figure out which one works better, and then give them back the other one. And I bought a repeat of the one that I'd given to Julie, because I thought, gee, the phone's been out for a couple of months, maybe they fixed it. And that's the one I really like, and the one I'd really want. So, I hop in the car, I'm making some calls on the other one, and the other one has got a design flaw to where about five phone calls where people were calling me, I hung up on them as I was answering it. So that's kind of a design flaw. You have to tap twice to answer and once to hang up, once to ignore. <laughs> Think about what a bad design that is. Because if it didn't read your first tap, then it hangs up on them. You know, so people are calling me with, to, for condolences and I'm hanging up on them. You know? So that one was out quickly, and then I tried the other one, which was the repeat of the one that Julie has, a duplicate, and that one would freeze my phone. So I'd, I'd, get, I'd get two or three calls out of it, and then something, and the phone would actually freeze. So that's a pretty bad thing. I'd have to restart the whole phone and so on. So I get, we pull into Boise. It's late at night. Uh, I'm tired. I've been working, you know, all day, all day Wednesday. I've been working late into the evening, and I've been really crushing it all day Wednesday. And so... There's a best hotel room, and I think, geez, neither one of these headsets is working. i got to get something else. And so I pull up, and right when I pulled up there, I had this thought. I've got a headset with a bad battery that Julie owns that I bought 68 days ago now. So it's only eight days out of warranty. Yeah, see, some people already know where I'm going. And I thought, and I've got a brand new one that I bought literally this morning. And if I just swap the headsets, they'll never know. And I'll have a good battery. And, and, and really, the battery did go broke, did break before the 60 days. So I justified it in my mind. But here's the key to the story. As soon as I had that thought, the Holy Spirit said, don't do that. Now, I, could, I thought to myself, I could go in and argue 68 days. Maybe they, maybe they have grace on me, right? That's what I should have done. But I thought, if I do that, then I can't do this other thing and for sure end up with the one I want. So I did it. And when I walked out of there, I just was like, crap. Now, here's why I said crap. There's some people in here who that little thing that I just did there about switching out the headsets, that would never occur to you. Never. You would never even think of that. So you don't have the problem the rest of us have. Okay? Some of you would, just, you would just never think to do that, so it's not a problem for you. You just wouldn't do it. You wouldn't think about doing it. Occur to you to do it. If somebody told you to do it, you would say, what? No way. But then there's people like me that didn't know the Lord until I was 20 years old, 
And basically, by the time I was 20, I want to make it clear, I think the Lord was talking to me about all kinds of Bluetooth little things that I was doing, because I don't think this Bluetooth thing is that big of a deal. I'm just telling you, it really bothered me, and here's why it really bothered me. Because for 20 years of my life, I lived where the Bluetooth thing, God could have been talking to me about it, but that was so minor compared to the crap I was pulling that it wouldn't have made any difference whatsoever, and I was justifying all that stuff, so this stuff couldn't even be heard. You get it? And I had to work, and I have worked hard to where I can tell you that for about the last 20 years of my life, I need to be very careful about this because I'm sure the Lord could pull back the curtain and show me all the ways in which I still do all of this. But I have to tell you, you can talk to Carol Miller about it, how anal retentive I am about being incredibly careful about these kinds of things to have integrity. Because it just, I just don't care about if it's bad for me. I care about whether it's right before him. And I have walked for quite a long time. I don't remember the last time. That's pretty good, right? I don't remember the last time that I made a poor decision like that on a big thing or a small thing. Where I didn't just, the Lord's telling me to do this. I don't care. I just do it. And I did it. And it was like, shoot. <laughs> you know? That was just a throwback. And I just am grieved about it. Now, I've got to tell you, on one hand, no, no, I'm pretty happy I'm grieved about it. Because like I say, that wouldn't have grieved me before. It wouldn't have been in play. So I was pretty happy that that grieved me. But how much better it would have been to have walked away from that situation having done the right thing, right? Even though it cost me, right? How much better? And that feeling is so much better than that other feeling. The way, this is a, that was a stupid little story. Why would you tell a stupid little story? Tell us about one of the big things you did bad. <laughs> why are you spending so much time focusing on something really small? And here's why. The master said to the servant, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in the stuff. Now this is technically about something a little different, but the spirit of it totally applies to what we're talking about. You've been faithful over the minor, the little, the things that people skate on all the time. The little thing you do on your taxes. The little thing that you do at your work. The little thing you do here. The little thing that you do there. You've been faithful to not do that stuff. So you're somebody who I can give more to. But can I say something? I do, I am not faithful in the little stuff because I want more. That is not why I'm faithful at all. I'm faithful because of the second part of this verse. Enter into the joy of your master. Having been somebody who did what I wanted and coming to know the Lord and having had a battle for the next 20 plus years on getting it right before the Lord, hard won, I know what it is to choose right before the Lord and have his joy in my heart. And that's what I want. I don't care about him giving me more. I care about having that joy in my heart and this was me stealing from myself by making a poor decision. But what I think is, when I think about this stuff, what I think is, Benjamin Franklin, watch the pennies and the dollars will take care of themselves. Sweat the small stuff, and you won't have to worry about the big stuff. And I mean sweat the small stuff. 
When you make a mistake, I can tell you right now, I haven't figured out how to do it, but I will try something to rectify the mistake that I made. But here's the problem I've got. I know that if I walk down to Best Buy, right down at the bottom of the hill here, and I walk in there with the headset and I say, gee, I did this thing, and I tell a 10-minute story I just told you about what I did, the 20-year-old behind the desk is going to be saying, why are you in front of me? I don't care. Keep the headset. What do we care? We got a lot of headsets. You want another one? Here, just get out of my face. Right? I know that if I just go in there and explain it to him, he's going to say, I don't care. You're fine. Be cleansed. You see it? But that's right, isn't it? So I got to figure out some way to have integrity to where I get it right. And I haven't figured it out yet. And if somebody in here has a brilliant idea how to do that, let me know. I'll do it. Okay? Because it just doesn't matter to me. It matters that I, that I, it matters that I get it right. And if I get it wrong, I'm going to do what it takes to get it right. Right? You see, here's what the problem is. Do you know that God can speak in fire? Because Elijah had this big thing happen where he challenged these 400 prophets. And, and then these 400 prophets, you know, he called down fire from God to lick up the one that had been drenched with water from the river. And the Lord came down in the fire and up even the dust. As if, as if he'd turned that water into gasoline. The whole thing combusted and burned even the dust up. So God was in that fire. God can talk in big things. Do we all understand that? But here's what's important, the little stuff. Because what happens is Elijah runs away. He knows that God was in the fire. And he runs away and all of a sudden there's this wind and this earthquake and then this fire. And I'm just going right to the heart of it. After the earthquake there was a fire. But listen to this. But the Lord this time was not in the fire. After the fire there was a voice. A soft whisper. I, I like the New King James on it. A still, small, quiet voice. And that's what, see, he had just had a big thing happen. He'd done the right thing. He challenged 400 prophets of Baal. He had gotten rid of idolatry, well, in a way, in Israel. And he'd stood up against it. He'd just done a magnificent thing. But what was more important than the big thing that he did? He ran away. And he shouldn't have. He should have known the same God. And so a still, small, quiet voice comes to him and says, what are you doing here? What are you doing? And what I think is we have to get to where we hear that still, small, quiet voice. And the only way we can do that is to respond to it as much as we possibly can every time we hear it. Because it's so soft and it can be drowned out so easily by the world and by our hearts. And if we do that, it turns out it's a big problem. Watch this, this, is, this was our verse for all of last year. It was Romans 1, 18 and following. I said at the beginning of the year, something's happened, it was with East Lake and so on, and I said, I think that there's a new thing where God is, there's a new level of God having withdrawn his protection from us, and that's what we worked on the whole year, remember it? Now, now just watch what he's saying in this. See, this is how it works. God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth. Let me paraphrase, in a way that's wicked. 
They suppress the truth. That is wickedness itself. See it? When you do those wicked things that aren't God, it suppresses the still, small, quiet voice, and even to where you can't even hear the big, loud voice. Truth about God, because he made it obvious. Ever since the world was created, people seen the earth, the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see even his invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature. They have no excuse for not knowing God. No excuse. But they won't worship him as God or even give him thanks. They begin to think up foolish ideas. You see what happens when you don't listen to this so small voice? A little deception comes in. A little confusion comes in. Why, why can't I do that? Because it's small. I doesn't care. And after all, I, I own the headset when it, under the warranty, and I just didn't have time to get to it. So why should that be on me? And why can't I just do this little thing in order to get around that? See it? And when you do that, you're inviting Satan into your thoughts. It's no longer clean, pure thought. You've invited him in. What happens is your minds become dark and confused, ever more so, step by step, little by little, but over time, big. So eventually God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. They traded the truth about God for a lie. And in fact, it says it this way in another place. All of this stuff fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah. The Jewish people had gotten so, they were incredibly religious. You understand that, right? The Jewish person in the time of Jesus was so much more holy and religious and righteous than the typical American is today. It's not even funny. They would look at who we were, us as the Baal worshipers, and the kind of people that God should come down and put his fire on and burn us all up. And that includes the Christians. That's how religious they were. So they were incredibly religious. But even in that religious place, they had entered into this sort of twisting and turning of things to the point that they got so dark and confused that when God himself stood right in front of them, they couldn't know that it was him. And that's what God says. When he told them it was going to happen back in Isaiah. If you keep entertaining these lies, they'll get to the place to where you, can't, you won't know the truth. What you, when you hear what I say, you won't understand. When you still not comprehend the hearts of these. When, when Jesus did miracles, why didn't everybody go? We don't really care what he says or anything else. How's he doing these miracles? <laughs> Isn't this something that we should pay attention to? Right? Maybe they would have come to the conclusion that only God could do that. But they, you'll see what I do and you'll not comprehend. The hearts of us will be hardened. Our ears cannot hear, and we've closed our eyes. So our eyes that cannot hear, and our ears that cannot hear, and our hearts that cannot understand, and so we get to the place to where we cannot turn to him and heal us. You see it? Right? But see, what God has is he says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. In fact, what he says is, is the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he's going to teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I've said to you. So the Holy Spirit is inside of us, teaching us everything at every moment. He's the one that said to me before, when I realized I could do this, he's the one that said, don't do this. That's the voice I didn't listen to. And let a deception enter, Right? So here's the nub of it. Here's the crux of it. 
Here's where it comes to the place where God in the New Testament, this is actually a climactic place, chapter 8, chapter the end of chapter 7 and 8 in Romans. I think that all the Gospels build to Romans chapter, at the end of chapter 7 and chapter 8. And then from then on, they explain what all of that is. I think that this is the absolute crux, the climax of what the New Testament is about when he says, look, you've really got a choice before you. Do you understand you got a choice? Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. Those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. Letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. The sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God, God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still in the control of their sinful nature can never please God. Never well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you, and it goes on to say, and if you're born again, you do. But listen to what's being said there. Now, I, this is a deep theological moment. I'm going to take two seconds on it. If you really understand what's being said, there are two things that are contradictory to each other. They are. you got to do battle. you got to make the right choice. you got a choice. You can put your mind on the things of the flesh. How many people in here have ever put their mind on the things of the flesh, even as a Christian? Anybody? Oh, gee, the one that didn't raise her hand, stay away from them. God may be speaking to them. You don't want to be close when that happens. Donald Trump. Oh, okay. The fact of the matter is, is it's saying that you have a choice, but then it's also saying, but you have an advantage. A new nature. A God who's not going to let you fall. A God who the word this morning came and said, I cannot not pursue you. And whoever he pursues comes. God holds you. And he holds you right where you need to be. See it? All of this I call the Lamaze theory. I have a few theories in my life. This is one. The Lamaze theory is, is Lamaze, for those who would remember this, back when we were having babies, we were having babies, Julie's going to love that, back when Julie was having babies, she makes it very, I did not have the baby. I've been trying, but, but what, what, back, but, but back then, what they said was they teach you Lamaze, and they would tell you about four months before it was time to give birth, if you will practice these breathing exercises every night faithfully. When the absolute horror of labor pains comes upon you, having practiced it, it will be there. If you are casual about it, you will think you have it until it gets so intense that you don't. And then you will have lost the advantage of it. Spiritual principle. Be faithful in the little, you'll have it when the more is. See it? I told you that this fits right in with that God has preached his first sermon that he wanted to preach in serenity, the second one through Mike, and the third one through me. I want to show you, when was the last time that we were in Luke? Because I don't remember. It was in November, I'm sure. 
But I want to show you the passage where we are right now. I'm going to do this in two seconds. Watch this. We're in our series empowered about the Holy Spirit coming upon you and learning how to just be simply obedient to him. Just simple and fast. Right? Just whatever he says, do. Because he may tell you one day at work to, roll, to walk over to somebody, lay your hands on them and pray for them. And what you're thinking is, that happens to be my boss and I could get fired for this. Right? Or any one of another million things that we figure out why we shouldn't do what he told us to do. And so what we're trying to learn and empower, what God is trying to teach us is, just do what I say. Today we're learning how to hear what he's actually saying, and I'm just about to get, because this is where God has us now in Luke 12. This is exactly what he's saying to disciples. Remember, chapters 1 through 8 were them watching what Jesus did. In chapter 9, he laid his hands on him, commissioned him, anointed him, and sent him out to start doing it. And then from 9 to 12, from 9 all the way through 11, they've been out doing it, and they've been starting to see that when they start doing the things of God, the religious establishment is starting to come against them because they figured out how to have a form of godliness that denies its power. And so the religious establishment is coming after them now, and there's getting to be a big division between Jesus and the whole religious, all the Pharisees. And remember, Israel at this point in time is for all intents and purposes a religious nation. They don't have tolerance and pluralism. They're one nation under Yahweh, right? Now they have a Roman emperor, but they think the Messiah is going to throw that off, and they're, they're trying to live according to God and get rid of the Roman Empire so they can live under God purely. That's what they're trying to do. So what happens is, in, 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 at the beginning of 12, meanwhile, the crowds grew until thousands were milling about and stepping on each other. Here's what that's saying. That's not so many people trying to get healed that they're crushing in. That has places. This is what's happening here. Watch. And I'll, I'll prove it to you in the next verses that come up, but here's what's happening. There's somebody who's living a life that is, has so much integrity that what's in here and what's coming out here are the same thing. And that's unusual because that's not how we are. Because even religious people put up nice religious facades. And all of a sudden, there's somebody who's actually living the life that they're talking about in a way that they know their religious leaders are not. You see it? And that's exactly what Jesus goes to. So here's what he's doing. At this moment in time where they first started experiencing miracles, where they first started experiencing his movement among them, what would be, what would be really easy for them to start doing? We're the new religion. We're the new big shots start puffing themselves up just like the old did. We got the power of God. Worship us. Or some variation on that theme. The old satanic lie of pride. Right? So what happens instead is Jesus comes to him and he says, don't do that. Here's what I want you to understand. Jesus turned to his disciples. See this? He's turning to his disciples and he's going to tell them right now, warn them, beware the yeast of the Pharisees, hypocrisy, living interior and exterior different. The time is coming when everything that is covered up is going to be revealed, even Bluetooth headsets. All that is secret is going to be made known to all. Why? Because God saw it all. 
He's always seen it all. We are trying to put up a facade for other people to get away with something. And God sees it. Here's the point. You have an audience of one. And you've only ever had an audience of one that matters. You can think other people do and get all kinds of confusion and deception going in your life. Or you can go after the one. All that is secret to be made known. Whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. There's that moment of judgment and everyone will know. And what you have whispered behind closed doors will be shouted from the housetops for all to hear. When the sheep and the goats are separated, it is obvious which are which. It's not that the sheep did everything perfect. It's that they knew when they did something wrong and they repented and they worked at it and they're trying to get that stuff out of their life. And the other ones are thinking that they're okay. And so then he says, dear friends, look, don't be afraid. People, <laughs> the worst they can do is kill you, right? Look, you want to be afraid of somebody? I tell you whom to fear. Fear God who has the power to kill you and then throw you into hell. He's the one to fear. Beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord. Get it. What is the price of Christ? Now look, listen to how precious he is right here. He goes to fear God, but then look, look at his next thought is. How precious you are to him. So don't lie to him. Don't put up a facade as if he doesn't see behind it. What's the price? Two copper coins? That's nothing. It's be like two pennies. Yet God does not forget a single one of them. The very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You're more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. You're more valuable to God. You are, you have, you are precious to him. You are the apple of his eye. And when you are seemingly fooling him, the only one that's fooled is you. So don't do that. You see how this is? This sermon, now watch, it'll, it'll get easier. I tell you the truth, everyone who acknowledges me publicly on earth, the Son will also acknowledge in the presence of God and angels. Here's how we usually think of that. I profess Jesus as my Lord, and therefore when I get to heaven, he will profess me as one of his. Now that means, but understand what the spirit of it means. Are your actions acknowledging God? Do you do Bluetooth things? Do you acknowledge God and how you live? <laughs> because if you don't, <laughs> there's a problem. <laughs> you see it? Are you acknowledging God in everything? Look, denies me here on earth will be denied before God's angels. Now, here it comes. Anyone who speaks against the Son of Man can be forgiven. You can say Jesus is not God. I did for 20 years. And I was forgiven. Paul did, even to the point of persecuting and killing people. He's forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Why? Just because that's where he decided to draw the line in the sand? No. Think about it. What does the Holy Spirit do? What is lives? He convicts us of sin. He says when you're doing something wrong, he's the one that says to you, don't do, and do do this. He says that. Now, if what you do is you get it all worked around to where when he says don't do that, really he's kind of wrong because he doesn't understand and whatever. See what I mean? 
Well, then when he comes to you and tries to say to you, don't do that, who here is, is that's okay. Now, isn't that where our world is getting? Isn't the world doing exactly what Romans 1.28 says? Isn't the world calling darkness light? Isn't it? Over and over and over in so many different ways. I hesitate to bring them up because some of them are hot button items. But I just want to tell you, the world is saying these things that God has called evil, they're saying, no, they're good things. And conversely, the things that God says to do, those are stupid things. Why would you do them? Do you remember that Jesus did this right before he said this? Do you remember the healing people? And some people came to him and said, ah, the reason why you heal is because, you know, wondering cast out demon, he gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons. So if you're pushing the truth of God away, what happens? You get confused. You enter, Satan enters in and you get deceived. And you start getting things, excuse me, all bass backwards. You start getting them twisted around, wrong. You see it? Here's what's being said when he said you can't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Here's what he's saying. The Holy Spirit's the one that comes to you and says, this is how to get right with God. And if what you hear when he says that is that that's not the way to get right, not the way to be right, then how are you ever going to get back to God? That's why it's unpardonable. It's not that it's unpardonable as if he couldn't unpardon it. He forgives all kinds of things. It's that you won't have any way of getting back to him because you won't know how to get back to him because the only one that can lead you to God is the Holy Spirit. He's the only one that can clean me up from the wreck that I was, the mess that I was, the deceived, completely deceived person that I was to the person that I hope I am at this point in time of being able to see and live in light mostly. And in fact, now just, just what we've been saying, when you're brought to trial in the synagogues and before the rules and authorities, don't worry about how to defend yourself. Or what. If you were sitting in prison for your Christianity, what would you be doing before the time that they brought you forward? What would you be doing? Wouldn't you be working on what you're going to say? You know, can I have a piece of paper and pencil guard? You know, I'd like to try a couple of drafts. Right? Wouldn't you be doing that? But here's what he's saying. You don't have to worry about anything. Even if you're being brought before somebody for your Christianity, don't worry about how to defend yourself. The Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what needs to be said. I love the word teach you. Because how many times have you been talking to somebody and the Holy Spirit has come upon you and started to speak through you and you wanted to write down what he was saying because you're going, I didn't know that. <laughs> and you're telling them what to do. <laughs> right? The Holy Spirit will teach you what to say. Right? So here's the point. I've been, I've been saying, if you get what I'm saying here, you're going to know what is God and what isn't God. And I'm going to make it now incredibly personal because I'm going to just tell you quickly. Wednesday night, I get a call from my sister-in-law. And almost verbatim, the words that she said is, is, Kurt, I am so sorry to tell you that you've died. And I'm telling you, she said those words. And the next thing that happened to me was the most out-of-body experience that I've ever experienced in my life. I was completely disconnected. My body was over here hearing words, and I was suddenly over here saying, 
I, I was expecting a call maybe about my folks. I really thought when she said, I'm so sorry to tell you, I thought, oh, she's going to tell me my mom or my dad just died. And when she said, Jim, I was like, well, you got the wrong name, wrong person. This is not right. This is, this is not true. This is, this. I mean, it took me literally probably four minutes for me to come back into my body, so to speak, and start realizing that she wasn't speaking wrong and that this was actually true. Those who've had a sudden death in the family, I've heard many people talk about this. It's just a disconnect. You're just like, this, no way. So I walk into my office. Now think about what could have happened in my office right then. I, I'm still really grieving Dave. I don't know how long it's supposed to last. Am I a baby? Maybe, I don't care. It seems to me, though, that I need to, enjoy, I need to embrace the fullness of the grief that God is bringing, not in a way that debilitates, in a way that keeps God on the throne, which he is, but in a way that lets me transition to a new reality which I do not want. And that's the absence of Dave. I'm still reeling from that. Gee, God could have said, couldn't you wait a little longer? I could have said, how unfair of you. How unright of you. I could have said, oh my God, we're doing something horrible and God's going to kill us all. Do you understand all of these thoughts that could have gone through my mind? But instead what happened is, is I sat down in my chair and I was reeling and a still, small, quiet voice spoke to me. And again, as best I can do verbatim, he said, it's a thing of grace that I took. It's a thing of grace. And instantly, because I know that voice, I thought, Oh, there was something coming either in the world or in Jim's life personally. He had had a healthcare where he had cancer much worse than Dave did. He had a cancer that the chances of him surviving in for three years was about two percent. He never told anybody. That's why David or that's why Jim is. And I thought maybe that was going to come back, or maybe some calamity, or maybe something else, or whatever. And I don't know why. I, to this day, I don't reason why. But what I do know is, as soon as he spoke to my heart, I was comforted, because what he what he was saying to me was, "It's a thing of grace that I take him because I'm sparing him from something." Now he didn't say I'm sparing him, but that's what I heard in that still small quiet voice. I just knew it. Now, I want to say something. If you don't know the Lord, if you're here and you don't know the Lord, and you're like smart about this kind of stuff, you can say, yeah, that's how the mind works. What it does is it comes up with comforting things to say to itself in order to protect itself, and so you could come up with a thought like that. And I would say, you know what? I literally had that thought. Is this just me? Am I just comforting myself? But because for 40 years now I've been trying to get it right in the Holy Spirit, I knew in my heart that it really was God that had said that. And... As proof of it, later, God started doing thing after thing after thing to demonstrate to me that he knew that Jim was going and that he'd all. One of them was serenity. You know how comforting it was to know that God had brought, put on the person's heart before he died the sermon that was going to be preached because he died? Because I couldn't be there? But there was another thing. I can't go into it in big detail. It would be way too complicated. But let me just say, Jim was a very, very man. I mean... Jim was, 
one of these computer geeks who was way outside of the curve on his intelligence. And, and he did things in very, very complicated ways. And literally three years before he died, he had properties and loans and all kinds of stuff wrapped into each other and set up A's that were such a myriad that nobody could understand it. And the banks came in during the, after 2008 and basically made him divest of all of the complications of it and everything else in ways that cost him millions of dollars. And it seemed incredibly unfair that this should be happening. I mean, just really unfair. They cost him like four to five million dollars. And it just seems so unfair. And we've all, all of us have always wondered, why did that happen? Now, Jim, on the other hand, this is who Jim is. Jim took care of it all, did what they said, and then he just retired. He had enough left to where he could just go enjoy himself. Three years of, of margaritas on the beach down in, in uh, uh, Naples, Florida, and up in Ponderay where he had another place, and, and he was just enjoying himself. He'd watch my sermons and, and talk to me about them and loved God with all of his heart and was so joyful and, and was bringing people in and being friends with them, and this got to spend his last three years. We were all kind of going, gee, you know, you lost a lot, and he was just enjoying himself. Now, right about, right at the end, he was starting to get a little itchy and saying, gee, I'm only 62. I probably should and could be doing something else. And so he was just starting to get that itch. But the bottom line is he had three years, and I want to say something. If he'd have died three years earlier with the complications and the entanglements that he had, it would have cost, I think, everything. And not just him, it would have cost the family, it would have cost everything. Because it was so tangled up. But God extracted all of that. Now that's one story of about 20 I could tell you. Where all of a sudden, we look back and we say, well, look what God did. He knew that this was happening. Look what he did. And so because I've learned how to hear the still, small, quiet voice. And do I hear the? No. But because I'm working on it all the time and I'm getting better at it all the time, he'll be there when you need him. In that office, when I was still reeling and God spoke to me, and I could have said a hundred things, I was comforted by just a few words. And by the concept that he, it was his grace that he took it. I was comforted. And we need because you have no idea what's coming. <laughs> Anybody who's gone through a sudden loss can tell you that one of the things that it does is it makes you understand how fragile everything actually is. You thought you knew that things could change instantly, but when they do, it is such a shock to you that you become, my gosh, things can change. So here's the point. How do you know what's the Holy Spirit and what's not? Real simple. Two simple keys. Practice makes closer to perfect. Right? If you just keep working on it, he's going to be there no matter what happens. If you just keep working on it, he'll have you in the place where you need to be so that when that happens, you're in the place that he wants you to be. Now, we can resist that. We can choose other things and be in a place that isn't, and then it's really hard. But if we will let him do this, practice 
helps to make it perfect to where you end up pretty much where God wants you to be. And the second thing is, you just have to know him. You have to know God. Let me put my sidebar in, my favorite topic of all time. How do you get to know God? Devotionals. You got to get up in the morning and start talking to him. You got to get into his word and understand what he's saying because that's his voice. And then you got to go out and you got to just talk to him about the stuff he's talking to you about. And, and it's all the little Bluetooth things and all the base of your brother things. And you got to talk to him about whatever's going on. And you got to talk to him about everything. And when you do that, when you make a habit of that, when that becomes your lifestyle over time, he gets to where he can take your mistakes that you didn't even know you made and start to correct them. Start to show you where there's a lack of trust in there. Because ultimately, the reason why you have to know him is you have to get to where you truly trust him. And it all becomes a great big cycle because when you really trust him, then you really do simply obey. And when you really do simply obey, you find out how incredible he is, even in the midst of really hard things. And then you love him all the more and trust him all the more and obey him all the more and find out how much more trustable he is and how much more lovable he is. And then you trust him all the more and then you obey him all the more and then you love him all the more. And you see what a walk is supposed to look like? Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, I ask you that you would make every person in this church live and walk this walk. This incredible, magnificent, glorious walk. The one that only you have that only you can bring. Here it come. We say right now, right now, our flesh does not actually want all the things that you want. Some of them, you've got us a little grown up, and we actually do want some of the stuff that you want. But we recognize that there's a whole lot of other stuff that we do not want, and we don't even know what that is yet. And so in this moment, we come before you, not knowing what we don't know, but knowing that we don't know it. And we come to you right now and we say, God, in Jesus' holy and precious name, we come before your throne and we say, take my life and start to show me what it is to simply obey. Show me the love, the trust that comes out of that. Teach me how to trust you more that I might obey you more that I might love you more, that I might trust you more, that I might obey you more, that I might love you more. God, in Jesus' holy and precious name, you are a good God, always. And nothing is beyond your ability to cause all things to work together for good for us who love them and are called according to your purpose. So in Jesus' holy and precious name, God, we pick up this cup and in the lower part of this cup is this body, thank you, broken for us. Because we broke our lives. Because we didn't trust you. Because we didn't obey you. Because we let Satan in. Because we became deceived. This holy and precious name, we take our finger and we put it in there and we say, we get that we broke it. <laughs> but we get something else that's more important. It's incredibly important that we recognize that we're sinners that we recognize how deceitful our heart is, even now. But God, it is equally important that we remember that that's what you took to the cross. Our failure and our inability. 
In Jesus' holy and precious name, God, you took that to the cross and you paid for it all and you healed us by your stripes on that cross. So in Jesus' holy and precious name, we lift this as our failure, but in which is your victory. And we take this cup to take your healing. Take together, would you? And now in your spectacular name, Lord God, we lift up this cup in which is your life. The glorious life that only you have. And we say, God, you've already made it possible for us. All we have to do is obey. So in Jesus' holy and precious name, we come as people not knowing the future. So we say right now, and say, I want you to say this in your heart when you take this cup. God, teach me how to simply obey, even if I don't want it. Even if it turns out it's something I don't like. Teach me how to simply obey. Thank you, Lord. Take together. Ushers, can you come forward? I want to thank this church for their faithfulness. I want to note that that faithfulness is a little challenge this month. January is always an interesting month, but the blue flu that happened for the last couple of weeks is interesting. So in Jesus' holy and precious name, God, I would ask you right now that you would call to seek you first and trust you to add all else all the needs that we have. We don't let our money tell us what to do. We put our money to your uses. And so in Jesus' holy and precious name, God, we just pour into you in thanksgiving and simple obedience.